Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Special Miss Burnham. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure that history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the year 2018. This is Jordan Hoffman. I am the host of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And you're listening to Engage, a special January edition um, now that Discovery is back on the air. It's an exciting time. And with us, as always, is Brian. Say hello, Brian. Hey, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing well. I am uh, calling in from an undisclosed location. And also joining us is uh, one of our, now I think he's been on the show, tied for most. Please welcome Matt Patches <laughs> of Thrillist.com. Hello, hello. And we're you're all here to talk first. about, yeah, you are now tied for first place. You're in the, what do they do on SNL? They call them the Fivers Club, if you've been on five times. I, I think so, yeah. Jacket. You get any? Yeah, I'm gonna. If, when you come on five times, um, I'm gonna get My you uniform color changes. I'm gonna get you um, a Star Trek keychain. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know it's That's funny because last night. Um, my wife and I uh, came home, and uh, we've got some people at our house right now, and so there's like keys all over the place. And I went, and we have like a key ring on the back of our door, like a like a little, like a nice kind of crafty looking. It looks like a like from an old British cottage, you know, like a piece of wood with a bunch of hooks on it. And I'm like, we have so many keys and keychains, so we took them all off, and I went through, and like, uh, Anne was like. These are keys from a job I had 10 years ago. We can throw these out. You know, and I'm like, this key, I don't know what the hell this key is. Then I had a bunch of like combination locks on there that we didn't remember the combination to. And then I had a lot of Star Trek keychains. So you know what? If you come on the show two more times, one of those is yours. <laughs> what kind of variety? I'm, I'm imagining it's either I a have... metallic Enterprise or it's one of those elaborate keychains <laughs> where like the Enterprise is floating through and you can... Uh... Warp it forward by... <laughs> no, I don't have that, but you are right. I have one that is a metallic Enterprise that also doubles as a bottle opener. Ooh. It's perfect for that, right? You yeah, like you put... The, you, uh, 
Yeah, you put the, sa- the, you put the bottle the through the saucer section and open it up. Wow, fascinating. That that one um, that one could be yours, and then I have another one that just says like Starfleet, <laughs> something lame like that. Um, and I have another one. So anyway, that's what's happening. So it's a big time right now in Star Trek. Discovery just came back last night, and it really was a doozy of an episode, episode ten. Um, but before we get to that, I should say um, for for those who listen to the show with great scrutiny, and I know that's at least four or five people. Um, I did say that I was going to be on the Star Star Trek cruise this week, and I there wasn't even going to be a show, but you know who had other plans? Brian, guess who had other plans? Mother Nature. That's right. Mother Nature had other plans, and I was unable to get down there. I'm still doing the second cruise because they were two. They were supposed to be two in a row, and I'm just going to do the second one. But it's funny because uh, I was a little bit um, tuned in on what was happening. And just to let you know, if you've been following the social media pics of people on the cruise who did make it, and a lot of people didn't make it. Um, you know, that's just happening. What was that called? The snow bomb? What the hell happened the other um, day? A, a bomb cyclone, which is a new yeah, term a to me. Cyclone. <laughs> I mean, when a bo- that's like that's like an ionic storm, you know? Yeah. When a bomb cyclone happens, you got to get out of the way. So because of the bomb cyclone, a lot of people's travel got uh, screwed up. So um, people who live in the East Coast, so Bob Picardo and Ethan Phillips, I know they had to get to Miami, Florida via like a late night Amtrak train to Washington, D.C., and then sleeping at an airport hotel and then leaving at 5 a.m. to get to Miami in time to make the boat. You know, it was crazy. And the Voyager of Star Trek travel plan. (laughs) Exactly. And Jonathan Frakes, who was like, you know, uh, you know, next to, I mean, I depend, you know, everybody's got their own personal favorites, but I think a lot of people were really excited to see, to cruise with Riker on the open seas. Well, he directed uh, the last episode of Star Trek. He did, he did, and it's funny because he did all of his, um, he did some publicity for the new show ahead of time. It was all, you know, there was a lot of scheduling involved to get him on the cruise. He lives um, up in Maine, I discovered. He, he that's, where, that's where the Riker homestead is. So they really got bomb cycloned. So to make a long story short, he's actually not on, like, as of right now that we're recording this, I don't think he's on the boat yet. By the time this goes out on the air in a couple hours or whenever Brian gets to it, he will be. He's meeting the crews on the coastal island of Roatan, which is a little speck of land near Honduras. So how he got from Maine to Roatan via uh, air travel is a feat only that only Riker himself could do. I mean, he's like in a shuttle. Wow, that's impressive. Got to be sporting. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, so it's pretty nuts. So he he was not there at the kickoff, but, you know, that's his life. You know, you can't get everybody there during a bomb cyclone. But he's uh, meeting up with the crews, and I'm sure he'll be treated with a Riker's welcome when he gets on there. So I, we weren't able to make, to get me, I mean, I'm small potatoes compared to these gentlemen, so to make a long story short, I'm here. But, you know, I'm kind of glad uh, in a way because I was able now to watch this new episode of Star Trek, which was just really, really cool. Just quick gut reaction. Uh, uh, Brian, did you enjoy episode 10 of Discovery? So now, usually you ask me uh, if this was my new favorite episode, and I would I would begrudgingly kind of like sit there and like, oh, I don't know. I think, yes, this was my favorite episode so far. It is certainly the most action-packed, yeah, and has the most cool stuff. Uh, Mr. Patches, did you enjoy episode 10? 
I, I really did, and it reminded me since we've been on break from the show that like I just love this show. I think it's great television. I don't awesome. think it's. I think it's appropriately indulgent of the Star Trek universe while being its own thing, but not trying to be, not trying to pander to the action heaviness of, of modern prestige television. Either. Yeah, I, I mean, it has, some, it has some Game of Thrones elements in this week's, but speaking of pandering, though, I think before we get into our discovery <laughs> conversation, we should talk about another episode of highly visible television that's been in the ether now for about two weeks which is um, episode one of season four of Black Mirror, which is the uh, BBC slash Netflix slash, you know, modern day cyber Twilight Zone, uh, you know, anthology show. And the first uh, episode is called USS Callister. Is that it? Callister? Callisto? I thought it was Callister. Callister. Yeah. And it is, I mean, I'm sure people who are listening to this know about Black Mirror and know uh, about this episode. It is a... You know, it's a, what the hell was it? I guess it was another episode of people being jerks and how technology sucks. It's definitely it, episode had, of it had, yeah, it had as its peg uh, a Star Trek loser who is a rapist and a jerk. And I wasn't too thrilled. I mean, I guess I get a little defensive about the, you know, Star Trek fans all suck. Um, and, in fact, I wrote an essay for which I was slaughtered by commenters saying that I was too uh, sensitive. But I wrote an essay for The Guardian, which you can read on theguardian.com, um, just saying, you know, that this trades in stereotypes and whatnot. But I'm just curious what you two guys thought. Um, Patches, you, you're, you've, you're a Black Mirror fan. You've seen every episode, I think, up till now. Did you I think that you was a Black Mirror fan for a little while? A little while. The, uh, yeah, because the you know the whole story behind Black Mirror was that they did two seasons on British television, and then Netflix picked that up, put it on the service. Yeah. It got a lot of traction, so they commissioned two more seasons at least. I don't know if there will be more, um, but that there are more American skewing. And these last two seasons, I think, have been pretty spotty. USS Callister is definitely the one of the higher points of this season, even if I don't like it very much, they get worse. So I wouldn't continue yeah. to watch this season of Black Mirror. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could be too hard on it. The weird part about the like Star Trek integration uh, to this episode, to this story of a fan who you know goes too deep, gets seduced by technology and full immersion, is that really has no connection to Star Trek, right? Like it's pretty arbitrary that his obsession. It's that's exactly right. Classic. That's exactly that's exa- like it could have been he was a Batman fan or a, uh, a or, fan of the Beatles or yeah. anything that has a strong fan base. It's just that Star Trek looks cool and it has all these tropes that people know, and he behaves um, like uh, you know like comic book guy when he on there was a Halloween episode of The Simpsons where he became the collector <laughs> and he just collected. <laughs> You know, he Lawless. Wanted, uh, I don't know what he wanted, but I think he wanted Edna Krabappel. In no, he co- he collected Lucy Lawless. Like that. <laughs> what was it? He collected Lucy Lawless and her Xena uh, outfit. Of course. How dare I forget? Uh, imagine that I, I confused Lucy Lawless with Edna Krabappel. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, it, I mean, I get it. It was sort of clever. I mean, the... The sci-fi element of, like, taking a coffee cup and then making a clone digital version of somebody is absurd, but 
you know, that's a crazy so, leap. They just take yeah, the leap. I mean, but warp, right? Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a stretch, I thought. Yeah, a little bit strange. And the other, the thing that I did think was interesting, and I did like this, even though it kind of maybe punched me in the ju- the gut a little bit, was the first fifteen twenty minutes of the sh- of the episode, which is about an hour and ten minutes long. You you're very sympathetic to the character that Jesse Plemons is pa- is playing. Is that his name, Jesse Plemons, the actor? Yes. Yeah. You you're you're sympathetic. He's like a good you know he's the quote unquote he's a good guy, computer programmer, nervous. Big Star Trek fan, meets a cute girl, she likes him, he's awkward, doesn't know what to say. His reputation as a nerd kind of, for lack of a better term, cock-blocks him. Uh, it's not a politically correct term, but that is what happens on the show. And then, like, his his buddy, who's kind of a, a bully, also, like, gets in the way. And you feel sorry for the guy. And you're like, oh, man, this guy, I identify, sure I identify with him. Everybody does. He, he's, he's nervous, he's awkward. And then he goes home, and in his fantasies, he's a crazed uh, you know, he's like the guy from Room. You know, he's he's uh, he, he traps people against their will, and he's cruel to them and vicious, and uh, not even in a in a overtly sexual way. Just an, he's a torturer, and that is like. And then you're like, well, they're not really people; they're just make believe. And then he is very well aware that these characters in his you know virtual reality zone. Uh, think they're real, or and they wish to escape, and he's still very cruel. And that just to me was like, I guess that's the classic Black Mirror twist: you think somebody's okay, and they turn out to be a monster on the inside. But it well, just kind well, of bugged they me get that the he technology was... that he is Say able again? to get. Once yeah. he seizes the technology, he's he's cruel. He's uh, he he needs the technology to make him a god in this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. And what I was feel like interesting. What was interesting about it is that. Like, there's part of it that does uh, succeed from using Star Trek as its kind of, like, basis uh, for lampooning the show. There's really funny bits in the episode where they're going on missions on weird planets, and they kind of, like, freeze and break character because he pauses the game to go get pizza. And you see these, like, classic Star Trek alien or evildoer encounters kind of, like, frozen, and they're all... It's like they're standing on set or something because they're all part of an act to make this, uh, and that's kind of funny, but I mean, it, ha- it really has nothing to do, again, it has nothing to do with Star Trek other than the aesthetic of the old show being corny and fun and something people are nostalgic for. But yeah, what I yeah. want to you, Jordan, was that what, what this may, the episode made me wonder what Star Trek's real relationship with technology is. Now, that might sound kind of crazy, because obviously technology is everywhere in this show. They're flying through space. Um, yeah. But I don't see them as kind of like I don't see most Star Trek series kind of grounding them in in in, in technology in a way that's kind of uh, ubiquitous or like everyday technology. Obviously, Picard can get his tea from uh, or, right, you know, right. I think well, Star I mean, Trek I don't does it a little more. He uses technology like everyday technology um, is 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 bigger and it's crazier and it's futuristic. But well, this made me that, think that, that, that I don't know if Star Trek has ever had like a real relationship with technology. Well, it's sort of an interesting thing. I mean, in in the care in the world of Trek itself, the characters there aren't they don't really fetishize technology that much. Like, there has never been a character who like is really keen on tricorders and like collects classic retro tricorders or anything. I mean, the closest you'll get is a character like Geordi LaForge who is really a gearhead, and Chief O'Brien also, that like fixing things, but they're not like fetishists. They're more interested in 
puzzle solving, not problem solving. You know, they like uh, LaForge loves a good challenge, and he's very good with thinking and using technology to solve problems. But they're not like really, you know, just really into technology. I mean, the the thing about USS Callister is there um, are some connections to Reg Barclay from TNG and he his use of the holodeck and how he would fantasize about uh counselor troy and whatnot and that's kind of similar to how this character that plemons plays fantasizes about his coworkers. but in the world of star trek they you know they rely on technology but their interests are not in technology now you know naturally there have been there's been a lot said over the years about how star trek has influenced real world technology how the ipad is based on things you've seen on Star Trek and, and the communicator and all that. But, um, yeah, Star, the, the, the technology itself has, has with, you know, there's no characters that are just like really, like Seven of Nine is really into astrometrics, but it's not because she's really into cool gadgets, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 there is a break there. You're right. Um, Brian, what did you think of this episode of Black Mirror? Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed the the kind of surface little nods to uh, to, to Star Trek. Um, the you know the the red shirt dying, and you know uh, the the con kind of rip off uh, the oh, incredibly over the top Shatner impression. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, and and again, you kind of touched on this, but I mean, I, I although you kind of put it as a negative, I enjoyed that kind of in any other uh, show or universe. That, like, um, what was the character's name? I forgot the character's name. Daily, the main Daily, character. Daily. Yeah, Daily would be the protagonist in anything else. So it was interesting that you you kind of have that reversal where Daily is the the villain and the evil CEO guy is actually like the hero in a way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the new and the new girl and the new girl, yes, kind of yeah, seeing everything through her eyes, and I thought she was she was really very good. There is also like a weird sort of like sexual element to all of it, in that he is trapping them, and you know, it, it, a lot of his anger comes from the fact that he can't, you know, get a date, and you know, he's single and he drinks chocolate milk at home. But when he finally gets these women into his world like there's a he gets a little smooch at the end of a mission <laughs> but it's all very g-rated you know yeah i mean even and, well he fact, removes their genitalia uh, yeah, that's, that's true big thing. that is true yeah, <laughs> they have no genitals um which i think is is kind of interesting to think about like maybe it's he's sexually stunted and he he has issues with his own sexuality or it could just be yeah, who the hell knows? But it's that's sort of like one of the more interesting things well, in there. He was also, now, which is not to imply. I want to make it evidently clear: is not to imply. Gee, I wish he would have been sexually assaulting these women. No, not at all. <laughs> but like, you think it's going that way, and then it goes to an even stranger place. So. I don't know. I guess I, I, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. It is kind of a notable thing that happens in this uh, in this thing, and there is a lot of funny stuff about them having no genitals in there for God knows what reason. That's uh, that's my only commentary on that. <laughs> um, it was not only Black Mirror, by the way, right uh, right now that has Star Trek as a crutch in its storytelling. I do want to point out, because some people have noticed the trailer that's been flying around since late December. In a couple of weeks, um, it's, coming, it's coming out by a uh, small um, company called Magnolia, and it's going to play uh, you know, VOD 
and maybe one theater in uh, in major cities. A movie called Please Stand By. Have either of you watched the trailer to Please Stand By? Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. No. <laughs> Patrick, do you know what I'm talking about? I've been offered to see the movie. Did you watch the trailer? Oh. You should watch the trailer. Uh, anyway, Please Stand By is a film, uh, an independent film, uh, directed by a guy named Ben Lewin, who's done a lot of things over the years. He's an older guy. He's British. He's, he's done a lot of TV. Uh, he's actually made a couple of good movies. He did one called The Sessions with um, Helen Hunt and John Hawkes, uh, sort of a Sundance film. Well, anyway, Please Stand By is um, atrocious. It's absolutely abysmally bad. <laughs> uh, just embarrassingly bad. I, I like I like grab a, a nausea bucket bad. But the reason I'm bringing it up to our listeners is because the premise is uh, young Dakota Fanning, who is a you know certainly a very talented young woman. She plays an autistic. Well, they don't even say autistic, but an autistic woman living in um, an assisted living facility. And um, Tony Collette is the woman who is kind of running things. And she uh, is a Star Trek obsessive. You know, remember, if Rain Man was obsessed with Judge Wapner, uh, she is obsessed with Star Trek. And uh, there is, this is so ridiculous. I mean, I got TOS, I mean, like all Star Trek, but like, it just doesn't even make any sense. Like, why would she be into Star Trek? I mean, it's, anyway. So she, there's a, there's a, there's a contest to like, Whoever writes the best fan Star Trek script will win $100,000, which, again, is ludicrous, but whatever. And it's got to be postmarked and sent to Paramount Pictures, which is also silly because Paramount doesn't own the license of CBS or whatever. Um, they will get, uh, she'll get – so she writes her brilliant Star Trek script, um, which, uh, of course, she identifies as Spock because Spock has trouble controlling his emotions, blah, blah, blah. And she's got to get it to Hollywood by Monday, and then there's, like, she forgets – they didn't get it in the mail in time, so she goes on, like, a wacky road trip, and she brings her cute little dog so they can cut to shots of the dog, and she meets – at the bus station, Marla Gibbs from the Jeffersons, who's still alive. How about that? And uh, it's just awful. It's like the worst kind of bad independent film with, like, uh, you know, it's like Little Miss Sunshine, but, like, the worst version ever. And it's so humiliatingly awful. And it doesn't even get Star Trek right. And then, then she meets Patton Oswalt, and, of course, he speaks fluent Klingon, and she speaks fluent Klingon, which is ridiculous. No, like, they're like, ugh, nobody speaks fluent <laughs> yeah, there, there are a couple people who speak fluent Klingon, but not like a cop. Like, yeah, he's a, he, Patton Oswalt's a cop, which is ridiculous, because he's, uh, you know, he's had a bad year, Patton Oswalt. I'm not going to mock the guy, but he's not exactly in prime physical condition, and he's running to chase her, and it's just... I, I was watching this just, 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 just stunned at how awful this movie is. And what's really humiliating is like, it's like, oh, she's autistic, so but we got to give her a thing. Ah, let's just throw Star Trek at it. It's like I happen to see this just after the Black Mirror episode. I'm like, give Star Trek a rest, you know, to give it to somebody else for a little while, you know, where make him a Batman fan, make him a Lord of the Rings fan. It's like, stop using Star Trek as your shorthand for just obsessive weirdo, you know? And Dakota Fanning's performance is fine, and and her older sister in the film uh, is played by, um, uh, what's her name? Um, she was in Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Eva... Oh, Alice Eve? Eva, Alice Eve, yeah. 
and she's fine in it too. I mean, she doesn't do much. None of them. None of them really do anything. And I also, I don't know anything about uh, real life uh, autism or whatnot, but I'm pretty sure that it's not like the way it's presented here. Like, you know, she like has to keep notes on everything she does, including when to go to the bathroom, and like if she's menstruating, she has to remind herself to do this, and it's like all these ticks and whatnot. I, it just seems so cutesy and so, 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 just so, oh, uh, nauseating on its own. And then they tag all this dumb pseudo surface level Star Trek in there. It's just like, like there's this one scene where she's like spazzing out about how excited she's like, and then a Spock goes to Deep Space Nine to try to get Worf on his team. It's like, shut up, you know, take your Wikipedia and get the hell out of here. These stupid morons making this dumbass movie. It was so bad. And the only reason I know about it, Brian and Patches, is that the, the publicists on this movie were trying to get us to promote it for the Star Trek podcast, which makes perfect sense. Well, you have, sense. no. No, I, I'm promoting you all to watch and make fun of it. I was prepared to um, give it a fair shake. I was excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, like... Dakota Fanning in a Star Trek movie, or a Star Trek as a Star Trek fan, I'll you know, I'll watch that, right? Zoe Saldana played a Trekkie in The Terminal by Steven Spielberg 15 years ago, so like, all right, cool, I'll watch it, and like maybe somebody from the movie will want to come on the show, and like uh, you know, five minutes in, I'm just like, this is the most humiliating thing I've ever seen. So the movie will play in one theater, it'll show up on streaming, nobody will ever watch it, but. If you are a huge Star Trek fan, a friend of yours may see the trailer and put it on your Facebook wall and say, hey, have you seen this? And now you know that I, I'm only one person's opinion. Maybe you'll love it. What do I know? But I have decided to take all my pent-up frustration and anger of not being on the Star Trek cruise this week and focus it on this totally awful movie. And that's my story. How about that? That's it. That was my that was my cue. To so so you so else. you didn't like it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I didn't. You cued yourself to talk about something else. No, I said, how about that? And then you were supposed to go. All right, let's talk about something else. All right, so Star Trek Discovery. Something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm Some sorry. I got so worked Star up. Trek on a molecular level. Subatomic level. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Engage. Engage. The official Star Trek podcast. Energize. How about episode 110 of Discovery? How many times did you go, oh, snap, during this episode? Quite a few, actually. I don't say oh snap. Yeah. <laughs> More of a gasp. What was the biggest shock for you? And there were a lot there were a couple of shocks. There was and everybody listening has seen it. We got our Ash Tyler Vox thing confirmed. They're in the mirror universe confirmed. I mean, we haven't gotten it confirmed. 
to be clear. Of course we did. It, it, yes, we have. <laughs> it's not well, it's not confirmed, but it definitely She even true. called it, she used the, and then Dr. Culber, may he rest in peace, he even said something about the Manchurian uh, test. That was a great reference. I, that really was cool. <laughs> I love Discovery is because they're constantly mentioning the past and the things that have built off today's technology and yeah. studying science. And, yeah. uh, and if, if, you're, if, you, if you're listening and, and didn't quite know what Manchurian test was a reference to, there's an old movie called The Manchurian Candidate, and it's, it's basically somebody who's brainwashed, and they get a trigger phrase to wake them, which is what Laurel does to Tyler. Um, he's, you know, who are we searching for? And then he goes, and he starts to remember that he's Vok. Um, but, Patrick, you're saying that you're not 100% sure that he's Vok. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm saying I'm 100% sure that he is Vok. I'm not saying, I'm saying that the show hasn't confirmed that he's Vok. You see, mm, he definitely is. Come, they're like half no, a step I'm away from it. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't I called him Vok. They haven't called him Vok yet. They've they've called him everything but. Um, but I feel bad for this guy Tyler. I mean, I really do. I you know the, the the conversion worked too well. He really believed his cover story. You know, it's uh, and it worked so nicely at the end that we're getting ahead of ourselves. But when. Um, What's her name? When uh, what's her name? When Michael Burnham is in the Mirror Universe and has to be evil Burnham, and she killed that dude, and she's all upset, and Tyler is like, "Hey, you know who you are." I don't know, you know, the the, the, the writers phrased it better than I do will right now, but you know who you are. Be true to yourself. You're a good person. You know, that's a heavy scene because you know he's talking about himself there. It's very, uh, it's uh, it's what I would call uh, good television. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should back up, but I do, my big burning question here is not if he is Vok or not, it's that can Ash Vok be redeemed? You know, can, I always wonder this about television, and I think a lot of TV shows kind of, if you get enough episodes between the horrific act and the end, that some characters can brush their worst decisions under the rug. But, like, Mm. is Ash a redeemable character, or is he a villain? Is he a bad guy? That's a very good question. Dr. Colbert. Well, how is this going to work out for him? Well, that's well. You, there's two interesting things you point out. Yes, when the, if the season, if there are enough seasons, like I'm thinking back to Battlestar, like Gaius Baltair at the end, he was kind of a good guy again, right? Because even though he was a monster at first, so uh, there, you can, like you say, eventually you can redeem yourself. As in life, if you screw up in life and you do enough good things, you can eventually. No, see, this is what always bothers me about the Thor movies and Loki. Right? Loki is a good guy now. In Thor Ragnarok, he's just one of the gang, and we all love Loki. But like, Loki staged an invasion of Earth. Okay, <laughs> that is bad. <laughs> That's not a redeemable. That's action. a very good point. That is- it's a good point. I would like to point out that Tom Hiddleston's very handsome, so that goes a long way <laughs> toward helping so is, him find redemption. So is Ash. Uh, <laughs> he's a very handsome man. He's a very handsome man. Uh, Ash Tyler is handsome, too. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's troubling. You know, I don't know. We're going to find out. I think, though, in this particular case, Ash, uh, uh, Ash Tyler will um, has a little extra going for him because he is not 100% culpable for killing Culber because, you know, he was flipping out at his existential crisis and, like, maybe his what? Vulcan... But he was, he, you know, he was seized by his Vulcanness. You know, this guy just said, hey, guess Vulcan. what, you're a Vulcan. Klingon. Klingon, Klingon, sorry, Klingon. 
He said, you're, you're a Klingon now, and he flipped out. He went bananas. Well, the, the, the question is, is when he arrives to the transporter room, he kind of like, oh, oh uh, I don't know what happened. You know, does he know what happened? Does he realize he did that or, or not? That's a very good question. You know, he could have been in some sort of stupor, some sort of fugue state. I mean, clearly he saw the dead body on the ground, but, I mean, he may not know what exactly happened that caused him to do it. Mm, I hope so for his sake. He knows. He knows. I mean, this is, I mean, it's really intriguing. This is a classic PTSD story, and we've seen in real life horrific events where people come back and they do bad things. And, unfortunately, it sticks, you know, just because the system put you in a horrific environment and you came back and you didn't get the health precautions that you needed that that doesn't yeah. matter you did something terrible and i feel like ash's story box story ends in some sort of self-sacrifice i don't know what it's going to be but i don't see how ash becomes one of the good guys in the end well um i mean the only thing noted, i did i mean you're you know we're gonna have to see you're right i mean he their crime and punishment he will have to somebody will have to pay for the death of culver so let's go back to the beginning though because i have notes from from the first scene and uh, we'll get to the Culver scenes uh, in its time. But number one, I just wanted to point out that um, the, like the, one of the very first lines of this episode, when they arrive in the Mirror Universe, uh, uh, Captain Lorca says something about um, star charts, blah, 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 something Organia, which is exciting because Organia is, of course, a planet from the original series where the Organian Peace Treaty was thrust upon the Klingons and uh, and the Federation, so that was like a nice little thing that jumped out. And then right after that, Tyler comes to the bridge, and Saru's threat ganglia pops up uh, on both sides, a double ganglia, which is exciting. And I thought to myself at first, hey, wait a second, we've been kind of waiting for that, and we talked about it on the show. If Tyler was Vok, why hasn't the threat ganglia been coming up on Saru earlier? And then I realized it's because... Saru only reacted to it this time because now Tyler is a little bit more aware of himself. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought, too. Yeah, I thought that was a, kind of a nice, a nice little note there because if first like, wait, that's not consistent. I'm like, oh, actually, it kind of is. Um, a little later, they mentioned something about Andorians as being part of the uh, <laughs> rebel. They found the Andorian bodies. Yeah, we, the first time we've seen Andorians on the show. And then I love... Um, we haven't really had too many close-ups of this, but when um, Tyler is in the shuttlecraft, with the worker bee, as they call it, uh, the way he manipulates uh, the, I don't know, the controls, he's got like a, a, a spherical mouse, and he's got like holographic stuff on his fingers. I don't know if we've seen that yet this far on the show, have we? I don't think so. I mean, we, we've seen some glimpses of um, some technology. I mean, this this is the first I think we saw, like, the Power Glove-esque thing that they showed last night. Yeah, I thought it was kind of neat. I thought it was kind of neat. It reminded um, me of so- something. I'm not sure what it is, but I – oh, I know. I just watched the uh, – I just watched James Cameron's <laughs> commentary for Titanic, which oh I God. highly recommend everyone go check out. He's uh, a brilliant filmmaker. Um, but he invented, like, fake robo-gloves – for that movie. There's a scene where the sub goes down to like break through stuff in the sunken Titanic and mm-hmm. you see like robo arms picking away at, to fetch the box that the heart of the ocean is in or not. Uh, and 
it t- makes perfect sense. You see robo arms, it looks just like space travel or something. He invented that. That did not exist. That was a wow. made up thing for Titanic. Yeah. Wow. That that is I mean and didn't didn't Cameron's uh, desire to shoot at the actual Titanic's didn't that like uh propel new technology in submersibles? Like isn't there a type of one man go under the water thingamabob that only exists because Cameron wanted it to exist, or am I making that different? Up? You're you're merging different James Cameron submersible stories, but <laughs> he is <laughs> he is a an addict for diving. Uh, I think they may have done some touch-ups on his sub for the Titanic shoot, but you're really thinking of his like deep sea exploration where he right. No, I one saw a documentary, capsule. or maybe you're confusing yeah. the South Park episode. Three D documentary. <laughs> Was there a South Park episode about that Cameron? Yes, there's there's a, a South Park episode where um, it, it's something about like reality television and like lowering a bar, and this bar is actually like underwater, and it's James Cameron that has to go save everyone from it, and there's this whole funny little song. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, no, I did see there was a documentary made about. Cameron's desire to go under the sea. And I remember they, like, on the big day when he's, like, in the middle of the... And, yeah, he's financing the whole thing. And then, like, his wife is there. And I just... And she's, like, going, like, oh, be safe, James, be safe. And I can just, like, I'm inside, I watch him, like, he's going, God, she's rolling her eyes at him. He's like, dummy. who's going to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. You kind of have to see this documentary because... It, like, he produced it, and so it's about how he is the bravest man in the world. And, like, you kind of can't do that, you know? You can't make a movie about yourself and call yourself the bravest guy in the well, world. Well, that's, that's, that's what the song was. Challenge, by the way. <laughs> Deep sea it's called Challenge. James Cameron's Deep Sea Challenge. Give me a break. Yes. That's hilarious. And he's somebody to listen. He goes to the bottom of the ocean, and he, you know, it's dangerous down there, and he, he looks at a bunch of fish, and then he comes back up, you know? <laughs> I went on a glass bottom like, boat. Uh, his submarine kind of looks like a minion. I don't know if it that does. Happens. It looks like a minion that's asleep. It's like a laying down <laughs> minion. Yeah. I'll tell okay. you, I went on a glass bottom boat like off the coast of Aruba, and like my wife got really seasick. So like, I had props to James Cameron. You know, he he did it. You know, I, I you guess. Uh, Star Trek cruise, let alone dive. Yeah, I can't even feet. get on the Star Trek cruise. I'm a complete loser. I, <laughs> James Cameron really, he's he. I'm impressed. I, mean, I can't wait to see uh, Avatar 6. <laughs> can't wait to return to Home Tree. Remember I'm Home Tree? Waiting. Oh, how can I forget? Home Tree. How many, how many words in Navi do you remember? Uh, I, I remember zero. I was obsessed with Avatar and the Navi language, <laughs> but uh, I really did not study it, unfortunately. <laughs> the language is lost on me. <laughs> I do remember, like... Uh, like uh, the the guy who invented the Navi language, and like he put all these complex rules, and they're like uh, in the middle of a of a syllable, there's an X or something like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, the Navi language is coming back, so it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, so so anyway, back to Star Trek Discovery. Um, we're getting to the big the big moments. Uh, the first big moment, well, three. Number one is. When um, Burnham, when Burnham says, "Let the xenobiologists get to work," and she's like, "I'm gonna crack the code," she takes like a blue pyramid paperweight and puts it on a Microsoft Surface tablet for a minute. That's a Vulcan, <laughs> Vulcan 
energy source, I thought, or a Vulcan <laughs> disk. Uh, I don't know what, but earlier it says an ithic for your thoughts, which I thought was funny. Um, no, I don't, yeah, they signed, yeah, it's a data probe from the Vulcan ship. It's a chip, you know, an isolinear chip or whatever, but it's a, it's a pyramid. And she was like, let me get to work. And I'm like, oh, shit. She's going to, like, show how brilliant she is. She just puts it on an iPad. I'm like, I can do that. Give me a break. <laughs> Wait, you're well, totally I... jumping ahead here. You're calling this, like, the first big moment of this episode? I think the first big moment of this episode is our quantum sensors are not detecting anyone on our same wavelength. We're in the mirror universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the first Maybe thing. Maybe I, I get the first reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I was just, uh, I was just excited by because I'm thinking I could be on the I could be on the, the the discovery. Like I could do that too. I could put a pyramid on an iPad. Uh, you know, it really gave me hope for my for my uh, you know uh, my ability to, to for my Mary Sueness. You know, I could do this. So uh, uh, yeah, no, they go to the mirror. Well, you know why? I guess you're right. Uh, this is me showing my uh, my insider. I knew that they were in the mirror universe ahead of time. So I was not surprised. This is, that was one of the very few things that I had spoiled by me. So you guys didn't know, or did you know? Well, you I mean, told me. <laughs> oh, so Brian knew. I, I mean, I kind of assumed. We had talked about it on our first half-season recap episode. Of oh, okay. Um, right, but I, had, I didn't thought confirm. it was going to be the Mirror Universe. Um, it seemed pretty obvious. But um, yeah. I felt like the implications of it are were, were crazy. I love the explanation of it, but how they've figured out they were in a mirror universe just that yeah, yeah that was cool that was really neat Resonance. yeah and then um what was what was neat was that they're there and also they have a real ticking clock which which I did not see coming which is they if you recall back in the regular universe they have um figured out how to stop the klingon cloaking device but they never gave the information to the rest of Starfleet. They were on their way to do it. Why they couldn't email it, I don't know. But they, they so Lorca says something like, our ships are sitting ducks back there. We got to get back home. But does he really mean really that? Nice. <laughs> Say again? But does he really mean that? Well, that's just the thing. Because there still is this um, ambiguity about whether Lorca um, sent them to the, mirror universe intentionally or not and originally i thought he did no way what if both of you are obsessed with lorca being well like a no he he pressed he pressed some buttons when they did that jump to 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 go to there now if if he knew he was going there is up for debate but he definitely did something to interfere with that last jump so he wouldn't have to go pay the piper for his actions in starfleet why would lorca who is now locked up in like a I don't what the agony booth. <laughs> yeah, it's well, like they call it the agony booth. Beaming you a little bit or something. Beaming you up, up down your throat or something. It looks horrible. Well, no, it's called the agony booth in, in the Mirror Mirror episode TOS. They call it the agonizer booth here. But either way, it's bad news. Well, I don't know because Brian is right. I think that he was, you know, maybe he didn't know exactly where he was sending them, but definitely, definitely 100%, Lorca did not want to just go back because he knew he would get his stripes taken from him, because Admiral Cornwell was after him, and, uh, you know, um, uh, the, you know he, he, he's going to be put on the DL, basically. And he didn't want to jump back, 
So they're, you know, maybe like subconsciously or whatever, he sent them away. We're going to find out the answer to this, you know, maybe in a long time from now. But then he does seem legitimately concerned about we got to get back because we got to save our crew. So I don't know. I mean, it's a big question mark right now. I mean, he does have a conversation in this episode with Michael Burnham about how she wound up being part of this odyssey uh, in the first place. You know, that yeah. she would have gotten out of jail at all. No, I would not have. It's your fault that I'm part of this whole No, thing. it's destiny. And, um, <laughs> well, that it's what? That was destiny? Well, that's what he says. That's, that's Lorca's answer, that this is all destiny. But it's but it's not because he brought her there. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, yes. Um, that that was Burnham's response, but, uh, but he's trying to sell her that, that this was destiny, that this all happened. Yeah, so I mean it's that's it's leading into his shady shady stuff again, his shady past. <laughs> eventually there's going to be a big fat we're finally much like how this episode episode 10 finally answered the questions about Vok and Tyler. Down the road we're going to get a moment that's going to answer this question and either you patches or you Brian will feel vindicated. Because either he brought him there or he didn't, and we're going to find out. And I, I, I personally, I don't know the answer. Brian, since he knew about Bach. <laughs> he was the first on. one. He was the first one. And I still don't understand how they did it, because during that escape, there were phasers shot, and uh, Lorel came this close to dying. She got her face burned. So that but, was but that was Lorca shooting her, though. So, I mean, that, that couldn't have been... You know, necessarily no, planned. It, no, absolutely risky. I mean, she shouldn't have been roaming the halls at that point. Yeah, but, I mean, that, when we watched that episode, we didn't even realize that was Lorel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the thing. It is um, it was it was a very chancy move, and as we'll see when we get to Culber, we'll talk about the fact that this show uh, pulls does not pull its punches. It gets serious. But the other big holy shit. <coughs> excuse me while I cough. I get so excited talking about this, was they're in the Mirror Universe, they're talking to the other ship, and, you know, Mirror Universe, as was established in TOS Mirror Mirror, but also Enterprises in a Mirror Darkly, which is a little bit more of what this is, which is how the uh, the Defiant is there. I mean, if you want to really do your homework, go back and watch those two episodes, In a Mirror Darkly, Part 1 and 2 from Enterprise, which kind of live on an island, so you don't have to know the rest of Enterprise to watch them. Um, and much like on that, when uh, Hoshi Sato became uh, the, the, the big bad guy, he didn't expect it because she was not, you know, she was kind of a sweet character. Um, the big reveal for me, the most exciting thing for me in 2018 so far, was seeing Burnham say, no, Captain Lorca, you are not the captain of the Discovery, and who is? And then she pushes escape, and up on the screen you see Captain Tilly with long, straight, blonde hair and a ridiculous costume. And I lost my mind. That was the most fun thing I saw. I mean, did you hear me yell from, from across the city when... when, when I think I did. I, I kind of enjoyed that moment, too. Um, it, it, it was... You know, we saw the foreshadowing in that with uh, with Stamets in his, one of his little trances. He says... Uh, he mentions that you know a captain to tell you before, so it was nice. Right. To, it was yeah. a payoff that I didn't expect to see actually. Hundred percent, they laced it up really nicely, and then when it comes together, it's funny. It makes sense, and it just it just made it it just really made it rich. And you know, at first, Tilly was a character who 
seemed like she wasn't going to be quite that important because she's she's an ensign. She's not she's not she's a cadet. You know, she's not even a major character in the, in the pecking order. But more and more, she's become important as you know Burnham's best pal and all this sort of sort of stuff. And now she's the pretend captain. It's it's kind of perfect. And she looks dynamite in that outfit. I got to say, they all do. But she really looks. Outstanding, Mr. Patches. How was your reaction to Captain Captain Killy, as they call her in the Mirror Universe? I also got a, a, a giggle out of that. <laughs> well, I mean, I was immediately sent to like, what does this mean in terms of fandom? Because for me, Tilly is all is the is the fan proxy, right? You get to live mm. your dreams, and now yeah, you're right. into this position where you are you get to be the captain. I just thought that was. I'm, I'm trying to figure out my take on fandom right now, but I loved her bit where she had to kind of like puff up her chest and talk <laughs> the talk. That scene yeah. was amazing, and I guess speaks to this actress, Mary Weissman, about like what she's capable of doing. Pretty much anything, she's really, I guess. She can play this she's like really good. She's cat. really young. This is like the first thing she's ever been in. I mean, she's really, really... Really fun, you know. She's and really the character's really smart. She, she they're getting tech questions, and she's like, "How do I dump this on Lorca's head?" And she says, "Let me, you know, put let me put you through to my chief engineer." And then a nice little <laughs> Easter egg, which is Lorca, great, yeah. played by um, of course Jason Isaac, who is British, does a Scottish accent and basically sounds like Scotty. Kind of sounds more like Simon Pegg doing Scotty than James Doohan doing Scotty. But either way, does a really great Scottish accent, and that was just really sweet. I just thought that was a wonderful moment. And then, uh, yeah, and, and then of course, you know, we learned, I didn't jot them all down, but Captain Killy's nicknames, the Witch of Lorna Prime, and there was something else like the Slayer of blah, 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 blah. Kind of hilarious, you know, really, really neat, especially seeing her in that uniform. So that was the fun part. Then there was the sad part, which was, Ash Tyler, learning from Dr. Culver, and Dr. Culver's having a rough day anyhow. You know, his, his, his husband is on death's door. He's got weird contact lenses on. The captain has now pulled him and said, you're not the chief doctor. You know, we're going to put somebody else in your stead. Of course, we never saw that guy, but, you know, I'm assuming there's somebody else out We there. did see someone in the background because apparently they only have one sick bay, and it's, a, you know, about the, yeah. as big as the room I'm recording in right now. Yeah, that was weird. I mean, you know, it's funny because Colbert was never, from day one, he's never been, he's not the chief medical officer. He's just a doctor. He's just the only one we see. That's true. <laughs> he's not the bones of this ship. You know, we don't know who Bones is. We don't know who Dr. Bashir is on this ship, but it's not Colbert. Well, certainly not now because, you know, now almost an hour into this podcast, spoiler, Dr. Colbert is no more. Dr. Colbert has been killed, and it's it's... It's a sad day because even though Dr. Culber isn't, like, my most favorite character on the show, I mean, it's more about the fact that he's Stamets's husband. I mean, I like what Culber means to Stamets. I love the character of Stamets, and I love them together. And, you know, when Stamets was talking to Burnham about the first time they met and they danced on Alpha Centauri, it's just kind of nice. Um, but... The stakes are high. The stakes are high on Discovery, you know? Bad things can happen in space. Bad things can happen when you have Manchurian candidate Klingons running around as your head of security. His neck was snapped. Unexpected. Shocking move. I, it did, in fact, make me shout, oh, shit, at my laptop when I watched it. And uh, did you guys shout, oh, shit, also when you saw this? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh snap. Well, it was so quick, um, and and immediately, you know, you got to wonder what sticks in this universe, or what, how is everyone dead? Is not? Is, is do people just die? I guess on Game of Thrones, people just die. But uh, in Game of Thrones, the show, I know that in the books, um, some people uh, what's come her name does come come yeah, back as right. a zombie. Pretty much, yeah. Name. Um, Catelyn Stark. Catelyn Stark. Stark comes back as a zombie. I'm not the biggest Game of Thrones fan. After the episode was over, because I watched it a little later at night, I read an interview with uh, Wilson Cruz uh, that he gave to Invert, where he said that actually we'll see Dr. Colbert again, that this is uh, an epic love story, him and Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, um, because I, I read the same interview. I read a different interview with Wilson Cruz. I read it, of course... Um, with, on BuzzFeed from uh, my friend Adam Vary, who is the first um, line. Uh, I don't. I don't read inverse. I read. Uh, you know, Adam Vary's got his Star Trek bona fides. You know, so I'm just joking. I don't know anything about inverse, but um, said the same thing. And I have mixed feelings about that. I will explain why. Number one, <coughs> I, 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 if this were any other thing. I would think it would be bad to tip your hand like that and say, no, 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 this death isn't real. I think it's good to just say, wait and see, let it happen, and then be surprised when something comes up. Well, also, it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's not dead. It means that you could see him in other ways. You know, Right, I mean, right. Like the hologram, <coughs> like Marjorie Prime. Science like Prime. Marjorie Prime. Well, I mean, I... I Normally, I would be against any of that. I, I would say an actor, when they die on screen, they should stay mom, and then when they come back, you should be surprised. However, I do recognize, uh, and I will totally confess that this did not hit me until others mentioned it to me. And I, I saw this episode um, early, and I've been having some conversations. On TV of late, uh, television, episodic television, serialized television has been getting better at representing... Uh, LGBT characters and LGBT uh, relationships, and that's a positive, but there remains uh, a cliche wherein whenever there's a happy gay couple, somebody's got to die real quick, which is something that I was really not, I, I guess I never really thought about it before. So the Star Trek brand was aware that there would be a little bit of a backlash, because here they made a big deal about the fact that they have Stamets and Colbert. <laughs> Excuse me, I should have. I'm, see, I'm not in the studio. I don't have my water with me. <laughs> um, but they were aware that they had this character, these this couple, and they were groundbreaking because their same-sex nature was not the primary aspect of their relationship. At least as it was visualized on television, it was sort of a these are two guys, they're together, and they happen to be gay. It was one of those things, you know. Like it wasn't a big deal, and that was a huge. That is great, you know. And then now one of them was killed. So it's kind of like, whoa, two steps forward, one step back, because whenever we get a gay couple, somebody gets killed. So, and there's even like a hashtag, or I'm not going to say what it is. But, um, so, but they, they went out ahead of it PR-wise, and that's why Wilson Cruz gave right. these interviews. So normally I would say, Wilson Cruz, be quiet. You know, if you come back, we'll be happy when we see you. But I will say that actually I think it's very good that they did this because 
I am not a member of the LGBT community, so I'm not as sensitive to these issues, so it wasn't really brought to my attention. But now I recognize that, hey, you know, special case, and I'm glad that he did those interviews. So I don't know. This was, this all went lightning fast on, on Twitter last night. There was a backlash, a front lash, a side lash, and, you know, who knows how it'll go. And who knows when we'll see him. It may be a year from now. I don't know. That's my comment. I don't know how, but, well, I, I, I keep thinking, like, I feel like his interview has big implications with how the mirror universe would work. Just to segue to something else, that you—I I feel like you're not that invested in the mirror universe, Jordan. I don't understand. Me? I'm totally invested. You, you you're, you're just, hear you're me squeeing at her outfit. You're just glossing over all the intricate <laughs> details of this fascinating shift. I mean, first off, the whole idea that they've jumped into a mirror universe where the Terran culture is xenophobic. And they have a, they're run by a faceless emperor. Whoa! Um, oh, and what is that face? What is that face, Brian? Matt Patches. I don't. Who, who is the faceless emperor? <laughs> Think about it. I mean, I have. Oh. You want me to tell you my guess? I don't know. I I don't know, but I have, I have a guess also. I have a guess now. Guess? I have a guess now. <laughs> my guess is Giorgio, or is that how? Oh. Yep, that would be mine. Do. I because think Michelle when they go, I, you know, I was expecting yep. her to show up on the Shenzhou instead of uh, Captain Connor. Pants, and she wasn't there. Yeah, she's got to be somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, the second they said Burnham was the captain, I'm like, whoa, what, what happened to Georgia then? <laughs> that was what I was thinking, too. I was, I, I can't wait for them to get to that palace. As Stamets in his reverie was saying, stay away from the palace. Is that the emperor's palace? That's a and good who point. Who is the emperor? It would be pretty cool. That would be pretty awesome. I don't know. I don't know. That's my guess. I mean, That's I my think guess. I've been wrong before. I think she'll come back in some capacity. The question is, what is the thrust of this? second half of the season. I mean, where do you think that the show is going based on this first? Actually, right. you know okay, what? So Wait a minute what here. I think, Wait a what second. What I think is really interesting about this is that the show seems to be confronting the world that we live in more than I expected it to. I mean, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, warmongering or at least this kind of like war attitude of the Federation. I'm talking about the first half of the season right now. You know, yeah, we yeah. expect Star Trek to be this kind of science-driven show. It's about exploration, but now they've been thrust into war. And that's interesting because that seems really relevant to where America is at sometimes. You know, we we barely think about NASA. You know, everyone can talk about going to Mars. I'll see. I'll, I'm waiting to see when we do that. You know, NASA gets brushed aside because we always have uh, we always have conflict to deal with, and that right, felt right. really relevant in the first season. Suddenly. We're in a xenophobic, um, unconditional hatred for anything and everything other, is what Michael Burnham says about this world that they've been pl- uh, thrust into. Uh, yeah, wow, yeah. That's, that seems uh, familiar and yet horrowing. <laughs> okay, hold yeah, on. No, I, have, I have a bold prediction here. Go for it. Okay. Okay, so we know that, that, um, that Lorca in the Mirror Universe is uh, whereabouts unknown, and that's because he tried to kill the Emperor and failed. What if right. the Lorca we have is actually that Lorca? And the reason why he's oh, wow. he's coming back with he's coming back now with Michael Burnham and Saru, who are two of the people in the regular universe, the new George who possibly the best. And he's coming back and he's gonna go face the Emperor again, uh, you know, for round two. That's a new Michael that, Burnham. 
That's, that's actually a pretty great theory. <laughs> I gotta give you that. <laughs> now you're, yeah, you've got me convinced that he may have. Uh, Intentionally taken us here. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. But then, why would he want to be in the? But then he just he when he saw the agony booth, he's like, "Well, I got to do it. You know, I got to suck it up." Probably, I yeah. I, I mean, that would be a great way to get him back and a reason to go to the emperor. That would also explain why he's got those weird scars on his back. You know, he's yeah from his tussling in the mirror. You, you know. Yeah, but everyone Can in the Federation say- knows Lorca. I mean, his in this current. In his old timeline, in the non-Mirror universe. Yeah. He, but how would he, he have gotten there, though? I don't know. Maybe there's a spore drive in the Mirror universe. Maybe. Can we back up and say how cool does Jason Isaacs look in his non-uniform leather jacket, <laughs> black shirt? You know, like I'm a – he kind of looked like Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan in a little bit, I, but, but a little cool. exact same thing. Uh, yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's Kelvin-ish. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but so you look level. good. I have match look good too, but he looked good. I had one more question too. So was, uh, earlier on, I feel like they they kind of gloss over this detail. Maybe I misheard it. That that uh, is it is it possible that the discovery in the mirror universe switch places with the discovery in yeah. the regular? No, no, it's definite. Oh, okay, definite. so they did say that, and they just kind of like glossed over it, basically. They said it quickly, um, and you know, if you go and watch the the first ever mirror episode, Mirror Mirror from TOS, um, that's part of the shtick. Yes, I remember that with our guys. And then at some point, somebody says, hey, so if we're here, where are the bad ones of us? And then they cut to Evil Kirk on the nice Enterprise going like, let me go! And he's flipping out. It's a great cut. So somewhere out there, they, they switched. But then um, now the, the difference now is that this is an entire ship rather than just four characters. So what kind of havoc are they going to wreck in that, in that universe? Oh, my God. Now I'm never going to get to sleep. You're right. It's serious <laughs> business. I don't well, know. They, they have the same mission, actually, as the Federation in our timeline. Our timeline. I don't know. I, what, what do we call the non-mirror universe? Whatever they. Our timeline. Yeah. They still want to fight the Klingons, right? So luckily they'll be able to do their business. Well, they want to, but our guys wanted to give. All they wanted to do was give the cloaking technology hack away, and that would cause peace because the Klingons would say, "We surrender." They step down. You right. know. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, so here's a couple things of just from from uh, the knowledge of what has to happen to keep uh, lore the same way. Uh, number one, there is an evil Dr. Culber now alive. You're right. So Wilson Cruz, the actor, can exist as evil Culber, but will evil Culber want to dance with our Stamets and Alpha Centauri it remains to be seen. Um, part two. Well, there's also uh, Stamets. That's a good point. But then again, you know, the the Terran Empire is known to be xenophobic, but how do they stand with, you know, homophobia? Did they frown upon that? Uh, That's a – I probably – I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I I would – I don't know. That's a good question. I'm just going to assume that both Stamitzes have merged into one. Yeah, no, no. I think Stamitz is like uber Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a multi-Stamitz, and he's – He's Dr. Manhattaning. He's Dr. Manhattan. He's (laughs) – uh, you know, he's just gone too far. So dig this. The Terran Empire, as was described on Enterprise and as uh, Burnham describes it last night, called them 100% xenophobic. We know that in X amount of years, by the time Kirk gets to the Mirror Universe, evil Spock will exist on the Enterprise. Spock's beard, the Spock with the goatee, the famous trope, 
cliche of the evil guy wearing the, the goatee. So at some point, they're going to have to allow Vulcans on ships. Maybe it's because of whatever Discovery is about to do. They're going to somehow loosen up the, the Terran Empire a little bit to get Spock on there. But whatever they're going to do, it has to be in such a way that when Kirk gets there, he doesn't know where he is because that's how, you know, they never knew what the mirror universe is. But then how do they know about the the other ship? Because that was from the Enterprise. You know, i got to do a little research on that no, because there, the Enterprise no, no. episodes. So wait, I was, uh, well, the Enterprise encountered the Defiant, but then, wait, so did Kirk. No, it was, it was from In a Mirror Darkly, but that was always on an island. They never, like, good Captain Archer never met bad Captain Archer. My research suggests <laughs> that Kirk and co. encountered the Defiant, USS Defiant, on, in the, the Tholian Web episode. Right, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't a Mirror You thing. They, they were in vanished. the interphase. Uh, but wait, does that mean that the Defiant... Well, here's what was unclear about this episode. Was the Defiant... In, the Defiant is in the Mirror Universe right now? They get trapped there somehow. You know, I, again, I'm going to have to put a... I'm going to have to raise a flag on the play and say that there needs to be more scrutiny because of my in-depth knowledge of uh, Enterprise is the weakest of all of the series. And uh, I, would have to, I would have to go back through... Uh, the historical records and, and remind myself what exactly went down. But their whole plan is absurd, also, <laughs> because of their, they, the the USS Defiant just kind of like sailed through a, a rip in space time and wound up in the. They got trapped universe. there That's somehow. The they, they got trapped there somehow. Uh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. But you know what I do remember? It's just how amazing. Tilly's costume looks in the new episode last night. It looks like something from Starlight Express. It's just so exciting. <laughs> uh, the, the sort of jagged vestments, and, and, and then Burnham is wearing a shoulder plate made of some sort of alloy metal, and when she gets back to her room, she, like, takes it off. and like, oh, this thing is heavy. It's just dynamite. And then she's got to kill that guy in the turbo lift also. I thought that action scene was great. I, it was I good. Yeah, that was a good fight. And I love Evil Burnham or or authoritative Burnham. I don't think Pretend she's evil. evil Burnham. <laughs> yeah, she her all of her orders are like don't harm Lorca. <laughs> it was pretty wild that that turbo lift scene. The way she, you know, used zero. I thought when they like floated up, she was gonna like elbow him in the throat or something like that. But um. It was uh, the way the way that they did that. It was shot very well. I mean, it was Jonathan Frakes directed it, and he's he's pretty good with action. So uh, it was yeah, definitely it was a real stoppers moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty awesome. And then they go back to the agony with. Wasn't that kind of terrifying to hear those people just? Oh yeah, especially the last the last shot of it. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of lingered on it a little bit. Yeah, like I don't know, like what's what's he gonna be like after he's been in there for hours. He's been in there for well, hours. You know, on, on, on TOS, when you first see Chekhov in the agony booth, it's like for 30 seconds. They push the button and it just goes, ah, and then that's it. But, uh, yeah, you know, a Lorca in the agony booth, that's like Lincoln in the Bardo. You know, Lorca, <laughs> I think that it's a, uh, it should be a phrase, you know. It's heavy-duty stuff. So 
um, I don't know. We're, we're at a point on the show where we really don't know what's going to happen next. It's completely uncharted. There's a lot of question marks. But, but I think we're uh, kind of uh, dancing around this. What, what do you think will happen next? Where is it going? I'm kind of invested now in Brian's theory. <laughs> Brian's theory is nuts. But Brian's theory is nuts, but he's been, right be- he's been right before. I know. I I mean one possible thing is they just never get back. That's what I keep I keep thinking is that they're not they're not going to come back. Really? And then they would have to transform. What are they going to do? Like they're always going to be outsiders. They're always going to be on the run. That's going to be. And uh, that's where I'm confused. I mean, because that that's not going to make for for like a good long-standing story for them to be there forever. I mean, it, this works great for the the back half of a season, but. To to continue on, uh, you know, uh, the show in this universe, I, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, no, I mean that this that's you know uh, the fact that n- we have no idea what's going to happen next is pretty great because what, I agree. You know, uh, usually you kind of can tell, and and here it's like you know next Sunday I like I have no idea what's going to happen. It's pretty cool. Um, I just know that, yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to come back, so they're going to somehow find some kind of warp signature from that old ship and come back, and then will Lorca, will he have PTSD for the rest of his life for being in the agony booth? Is Tyler going to revert to Vok? Is he going to have to go to prison? Well, actually, you know, you know what, though? You know what? They have to get back at some point because otherwise the the Klingon story is uh, with, with, with Vok and Laurel. Uh, I mean, where does that go? Yeah, can we talk about that for one second? About like, um, who do we seek? Kales, you know, what? Is, what? Is, so they're looking for. They're no, no, that's just a, that was just his wake up. That was his trigger. It just hey, didn't work. No, it was. Yeah. No, but that's a mission. That's they're still looking for. They're still aren't they looking for like the resurrected Kales? This is a no. Religion. No, they were trying to steal the uh, steal the discoveries. Um, uh, Spore drive technology, so they can stop the, them from, you know, foiling all their plans. Uh. Yeah, originally they were just there to get the spore drive tech and then come back to the the big ship, the um, what do they call it? the sarcophagus ship, and then and then be be the top dog in Klingon Town. But it's already kind of over because all those other, you know, that ship's guy, gone Cole and, and Cole's all those guys are dead. Yeah. So the, their their mission is kind of over. They just don't realize it. Gotcha. But you know they were there. But from a storytelling standpoint, I mean, they have to do something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Hmm. But uh, I do feel bad. I do feel bad for Tyler. He, you know, he. he well, you know, what was funny is that Lorel even says it, it went too far. Like you know, he got an extra dose of whatever whatever drug they give you to to become human. <laughs> they gave him too much because, like the the wake up phrase didn't quite work, and he's still kind of twitching out a little bit. So it's um, you know, he it went too far, you know. So that's a lesson for you kids out there: don't try to uh, uh, change into a different alien uh, species and go undercover because you may not come back. <laughs> Important lessons. <laughs> and the other thing, too, yeah. um, the, another thought that I had, too, is obviously Dr. Uh, Colbert f- figured out that something was going on with, with Tyler. But in the uh, in Burnham's research into where the whereabouts of all the crew members, where she found out that her and, uh, and Lorca were, were kind of like MIA, why didn't they notice that Tyler doesn't exist? 
you know, uh, that's a that's a nice point. Pro- I mean, I would just say because she's, you know. Or unless Tyler Vok was actually a, t- Tyler was a person at some point, they just made Vok look like Tyler because he was just some dead guy. Oh, hmm. like they used an old body. Maybe. Like they used it's like a template like or something, yeah. I think well, why it probably... Why would would she literally be on the match? Because they were looking for everybody. They were looking. They were looking for matches for everybody on the bridge crew. I mean, he's part of the bridge crew. Brian's right. He could be could be a captive. I don't think that's. I don't think that's a plot hole. He could be a captive from the Klingons. Well, no. I I mean, my my point. I guess my point is, is that that's another way for for them to find out, or maybe they should have found out already. I guess I don't know. Right. I think. No. You remember there was that montage sequence when they're all trading in their old uniforms for their new, really cool uniforms. Yeah. (laughs) And. Everybody gets them except for Lorca says to Burnimal, who the, who the heck are we, civilians? So the implication is everybody got a new uniform except for those two. And Saru. So why, you're <laughs> right, there should have been a red flag of some sort. Because he does have a new uniform. Letter T for Tyler. So Brian, you, you have just uh, spotted an inconsistency <laughs> that needs to be addressed. <laughs> I shall alert. Uh, I shall be on the internet immediately. <laughs> and all that nerd obsessive. I'm pointing that out because uh, that's right. It's a good point. And on that note, I think we've been yapping for a while. I think, uh, is there anything else we want to say about episode 10? Uh, Brian, let's go with you. Um, I, I think that was my last point, actually, was was the, yeah. about about Tyler existing in the Mirror Universe or not. But uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Because you, you came in really strong at the end there. I'm like very that. excited about the, the rest of the season, where it's, it's going to take us. Mr. Patches, do you have any final comments before we say adieu for one week? Uh, yeah, I just want to say that the Lorca Burnham relationship is, like, one of the best relationships on TV right now? Is that oh. is that a broad is that a crazy play? I just love how he manipulates her. Like when they're on the bridge and um I forget exactly what they're talking about, but he is so he's using her Vulcan teachings against her. She, oh know, yeah, oh, it was after um kind of like judging her for being in a relationship with Ash. Like you need to put emotion Well, no, I, I don't think it was it was situation. I don't think it was a relationship. I think it was that she he clearly saw that she was covering for him when he was going through yeah. something and that doesn't fly on a bridge. Yeah. Right. Can I trust you or something like that? Yeah. yeah. He just he Lorca knows how to work everybody on the ship. I find that and that's a real performance thing. Uh, from Jason Isaacs, it's a, it's really Absolutely. amazing how he can. I find him to be a warm, comforting. Like he is a good leader. He is a good captain. Um, he is, but you know, but you, but you're never quite sure if he's trustworthy. But well, just as an I, observer, if we I were there on the him. ship, you do I trust, trust him. him. But I think he's. I think he. You know, when in that scene where he comes down and he sees Colbert and he's like, sorry. <laughs> kind of had to yeah, do no, he was be- he was really kind of cutthroat at that moment, and he's yeah. been cutthroat before. The way he manipulates and pushes buttons to get Stamets to do the jump he doesn't want to do. I mean, it's a great character, and it, I really do think. I mean, acting is is a is a mysterious science, but um, Jason Isaacs is is like the best. You know, he should be he should be a leading man in big budget uh, uh. feature films. He should be winning Oscars. <laughs> Forget this. Forget uh, Gary Oldman and all those chumps. It should be it should be uh, it should be Lorca up there winning awards. Damn it! You, you know you know what? Too, uh, I'm gonna make another bold prediction that uh, I think that if if we do get back to the regular universe, I, I'm gonna think that Lorca does not come with it. I 
If I think he's either true, then I would agree. But it would be sad. Yeah, it would be very sad. He's definitely my favorite part of the show. He is too. I mean, I I do think that uh, Sonequa Martin Green and uh, Burnham are a great anchor for the show because seeing things through her eyes kind of makes sense, you know. And she is a great leading. Uh, protagonist, but yeah, Lorca's the coolest thing on this show. Lorca, and I have a soft spot for Tilly just because she makes my heart glow, but uh, yeah, Lorca's, pre- Lorca's one of the coolest things to come along in Star Trek in a very but long if, time. So, If our Lorca is Mirror Universe Lorca, does, doesn't that mean there's another Lorca, or did he get killed? You're talking about Brian's wacky theory. Let's call <laughs> yeah, that the BWT. <laughs> if the BWT is correct, if Brian's wacky theory is correct, that means there's nice Lorca somewhere out there, and maybe he'll come back. When That's another good point, actually. Know, okay. You know what, but you know what's amazing? Dig this. Captain Killy is real, and if Captain Killy is in our universe right now, be the maybe we'll get Oh, my God, that. yeah. We'll get yeah, to have real to angry Tilly. <laughs> Instead well, of because impersonation. they come back through the like temporal rift of the of the defiant, they're not going to swap places with her, right? That's right. Uh, oh yeah. So they'll have to take her on. So okay, one more thought about Lorca then. So what if what if when uh, it, it's we're known that uh, it's known that he was the only survivor of the his ship, the the Boren? Uh, I Is that the name of it? Name, but yes. Something like that. Yeah. What if the original Lorca actually does die there, and then that's where we pick up with Mirror Universe Lorca somehow? You know, yeah. all I can say is that you need to get to writing your fan fiction <laughs> right away. And then I need to deliver it to Paramount in a wacky adventure. <laughs> I still need to hear the story. So even if it isn't true, I need, I need to know. Okay, so, uh, I, I will do that. All right. Well, listen, this has been another great hour plus of Engage. Uh, we did a lot of shouting. Uh, I want to apologize to the movie Please Stand By. I was a little harsh on you earlier in the show. Uh, Brian, maybe you can trim that a little bit. I don't need to get so angry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Next week's going to be a doozy. I, I, you will not hear my voice, but you may still hear Brian and Patches talking about Episode 11. Uh, we're taking it one week at a time here in, in 2018. But thanks for listening. Let me know your thoughts. You can go to Facebook.com slash Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. You can tweet at me. I'm at Jay Hoffman. That's two Fs and one N, J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. You can also tweet at Mr. Patches. That's uh, Matt Patches, our guest from Thrillist. He's M-I-S-T-E-R-P-A-T-C-H-E-S. And you can continue to read the great work on Thrillist.com. <laughs> If you're ever in need of some deep dive, what's the latest weird thing you've got uh, on Thrillist? There's always some unexpected uh, deep dive um, uh, reporting going on. I don't know. know, You had that thing about the Art Bell show. (laughs) So many things. So many. There's a lot of things. If you if you remember the old Art Bell show, you should read Thrillist. We just published the uh, uh, the onset diary of screenwriter Michael Green from Blade Runner 2049. He sent us his diary of, like, watching Harrison Ford work in a movie that he wrote. It's really good. Oh, that's great. I would like to read that. That sounds really cool. Read it. All right. So until then, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, live long and prosper.
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.